Welcome to the HMO Success Podcast. My name's Wendy, and this podcast will help you invest in houses of multiple occupation. Hello, everybody. Welcome to you HMOers. It's really good to have you online today, and uh, I hope you're having a great week. It's beautiful weather here, so I always like to see a little bit of the sun, which is great. Now, today we have a very special guest live on the Ultimate HMO Success System Group, and um, he's an old friend of mine who I've known for a few years now, but John offers, <laughs> not old in age, no, no, just in experience, in experience. Um, John has a long history of investing in property. He's got a very interesting history, actually. He's worked with some very interesting people and he's had a very interesting career. And he's got a very good insight into the current property market uh, in terms of where we sit right now uh, in, in history. And also, um, I think, looking forward, uh, John's got some really interesting and well thought out views. And so I'm really delighted, John, that you could join us today on our live. Uh, we had a... I'm, I'm using some new technology that I've never used before. So that was very interesting. Yeah, and we had a few little uh, technical issues earlier, but we've got there now. So you're here now and you're sitting in front of a green screen. Are you not going to put yeah. anything there like, you know, a picture of a Caribbean island well, or something? I don't know how to do that in this software. So. <laughs> yes. You could have like, you know, the flying planes and, and the <laughs> cockpit and Top Gun, but can't do that if I don't know how to turn it on. <laughs> yes. Well, it's still it's, it's great to see you even against your, against your green screen. Uh, so how are you doing, John? Are you, are you keeping well? I'm well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And well, and business has actually been stronger during this period than before. So funny that. That's fantastic. That's brilliant. Uh, I, think so it's John... the, I think it's tied to people have had more time to think strategically rather than just tactically running around doing whatever today's micro emergency is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's given everybody time to sit back and, as you say, reflect a little bit and perhaps become a bit more strategic, uh, which is a very good practice to get into when you're running a business. Correct. So, John, just tell us a little bit about yourself, about a bit about your background um, and what, you, what you're doing right now. Okay. So, um, I'll do it sort of backwards. So, I was in the U.S. My wife was here for some meetings um, we had been in the U.S. for quite a bit last year from last May. And then it's like, oh, it's starting to close the borders. I better jump on a plane early and get back. So I came back about the 14th of March um, and have been here in London since. Uh, my career starts after university, graduating computer science. I work in Silicon Valley. And eventually that technology background leads me to London. So I moved to London in 1994 or took a job in London in 94, lived down in uh, Woking or Horsel, the village next to it. And I've been a property investor since 83, starting in San Jose. You know, these days I say Hawaii to Bradford. Uh, the joke is no Brits ever say why Hawaii. They all say why Bradford. In America, <laughs> I say Hawaii to London because no one's heard of Bradford in America. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. I'm a single at um, a bit of a lazy investor in that I, I don't want high touch service accommodation, chocolates on the pillows. I'd rather be the customer eating the chocolate than the person putting them out, changing the sheets and all the other Love stuff. <laughs> so I'm, I'm single at, uh, you know, some of these terms I'll use today, they didn't even exist back then. When I started investing in property, there weren't, we didn't have cell phones that you could put in a pocket. At best, maybe 
I don't even know if we had him bolted in the car yet. So, yeah. So you you've seen the great thing about that kind of history and that that background that you've got is you've what we're going through at the moment, uh, which you know everyone's calling a black swan event, and certainly it's been a shock. Certainly it's been a pandemic. This has been a crisis, but. It's not something which maybe has worried you so much because you've probably seen these cycles before. You've seen the times when markets have collapsed. You've seen yeah. depressions. You've seen, well, perhaps not depressions, but certainly recessions. So you, you've got a really long view on the property market, and that's incredibly valuable. Well, to complement what you just said, um, we had a banking crisis in the U.S. that over a thousand banks closed, and that was in the late '80s. So I've been through that. Then we had, you know, the banking crisis, 2008. Um, the global pandemic that we're calling this well depends on your definition, but we've had pandemics with SARS, we've had pandemics with MERS, we've had pandemic the Spanish flu. Why was it called the Spanish flu? Because the British press were under a censorship order, so so that they couldn't actually talk about the deaths in Britain. And the way that people in Britain learned about that pandemic was from the Spanish press. It's not that Spain started it, it's just Spain was talking about it. And Britain was trying to pretend that there's no pandemic going on because we're fighting the Germans. So they were trying to manage the messaging. Obviously now we're in a new world. I love the fact that in this world, um, under all the issues we have, people have adapted partially because they can use the technology. We can have these types of meetings. We can have these types of conversations. Now, let me put it in perspective in the sense that the world changed and things have changed. And this happens all the time. You get married, you get divorced, you have kids, they grow up, they graduate, they do whatever, they have kids. Life keeps going on. And the assumptions you have, you need to adjust, pivot, whatever you want to call it. One of them is if you're a student uh, landlord in Cambridge, and the university cancels the academic year next year from being on campus and says it's going to be virtual, you know, you're a bit hosed if you're a student landlord. So while the virus is nasty at some level, as a percentage of the population that it's actually killed off is small, so it affects very few housing units, but we're using our houses differently. We care about them differently. We need space to do this sort of thing. Um, so there's lots of things that are being thrown up in the air. And for the positives, for the people starting out, it's a great time because those that are wildly successful are now being crushed a bit because their strategies didn't plan for this. And those that are getting started, you can be more nimble. Most successful businesses are actually started in downturns, not, uh, not uh, upturns. Mm, absolutely. And do you think that sometimes business can get a little bit... Um, perhaps complacent, uh, you know, we, we've perhaps had some steady years. I wouldn't necessarily say they've been great years, but I think we've had some steady years for investing. And one of the things that has slightly surprised me is uh, perhaps a lack of preparedness for the end of a boom cycle, you know, that, that we do get boom and bust, whether we like it or not, a capitalist system actually has built into it boom and bust. And it's about regeneration and it's about new ideas. And as you say, many a, a, a great business has actually been formulated in a time of immense stress and difficulty. Mm -hmm. um, and somehow that the, the entrepreneur 
actually loves to be able to answer those kind of problems and solve problems at the time, which then creates the the, the startup of a fantastic business that then in boom time grows immensely. But maybe the problem is that starting up businesses in those times when things are a bit more steady and perhaps seem a little bit more certain, it maybe reduces our entrepreneurial edge. And actually, this is a time for us. I, I do believe that property investors have to have an entrepreneurial edge whereby, you know, they can adapt because this is a time of adaptation. What are your thoughts about that? I agree. And you could look at a lot of analogies. Children who struggle end up doing better as entrepreneurs than people who sort of cruise through their academic life, never having to like soul search or figure out how, okay, this isn't working for me. I need a better plan. Uh, there's a high correlation between dyslexia and being a successful entrepreneur in Silicon Valley because you're forced to see the world through other eyes. You can't just do what everybody else does. So there's a lot of logic to this. And, and I, I'm going to object to one comment. The boom or bust cycle isn't because it's capitalism. The boom or bust cycle is because we allow humans to exist. It's our tendency to get comfortable and continue to do what's already working. Don't, don't fix it if it isn't broken. Yeah. Which is sort of like saying, well, don't prepare for the days that might happen when you can't see them. So we are, by our nature, forgetful of stuff in the past. And we sort of have a glossy view of some things and completely whitewash other things. So these patterns that reappear is a little bit because we don't actually think of history in any definitive linear sense. We think of it as like, well, I think my grandmother said something about that, but you know, I've never thought about why that was. And we take things out of context and we develop strategies. Like I was just debating one where you should invest 60 miles or less from where you live. Well, that really was a rule that came about. There were no cell phones. All phones were plugged into the wall. If you didn't pick it up, you missed the call. Uh, you couldn't look at documents online. You had to sign with a pen in an office. You had to like deliver materials with a vehicle. You couldn't just like go click, click, click. And then this thing called Amazon would show up. They didn't exist. So our ability to manage is very different now. Our ability to do this is a yeah. great example. So you can meet with your suppliers. You can collaborate with your co-investors, whatever you want to do. And now that allows us to do or run strategies that were not possible. There was no Airbnb before. So there was no service accommodation. We had BNBs and it would be a couple who typically retired about 50, bought a nice big house on the coast, rented a bunch of rooms as their sort of way of living on the coast. That was almost the history of that sort of stuff. So yeah, it, I, you're completely correct that the ability to rethink, adjust, pivot, change, adapt is really important. Uh, a friend who does HMOs does only en suite. They were comfortable a while back, a few years back, saying, fine, I'm going to do only en suite. I'll take the risk of a band tax per room. But I can also, by using limited debt, they don't use a lot of debt, I can drop my rates low enough to compete with the units that don't have en suite if I have to, if there's an oversupply. But I'm trying to take sort of the cream. Well, what's happened now is a lot of people who are self-isolating say, I'd rather have an ensuite. This shed facility down the hall with everybody else, that is not working anymore. So what did they do to sort of make it even better? They went out and bought a bunch of mini fridges and dropped them into all the rooms. So now you have a kettle, you have a mini fridge and an ensuite. 
if you need to self-isolate, you don't have to clear out of the building and all the other roommates don't clear out and my cash flow doesn't drop off a cliff. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that having that mindset to adapt to the market is absolutely vital. Uh, and I think that in HMOs particularly, uh, we have to be fairly swift at taking those decisions and making those adaptations. Because I think if you hang around too long, you it, it is a competitive marketplace and you'll find that your competitor down the road is doing it earlier than you telling it telling our people about it on spare room and those tenants who are looking to move that that's where they will gravitate boom yeah absolutely yeah, yeah and you want to be boom bring it here rather than boom i lost it yeah, exactly 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 you want you want to be the one who's setting the trends not just following the trends <laughs> and particularly if you're nimble in your mind but also nimble in by design the marginal cost of dropping in uh, mini fridges is not high the ensuite work was done when the places were being referred in the first place. It wasn't that costly. They could optimize the layout and they just minimized or lessened the dependence on debt so that they could be more financially nimble. Um, and what they miss out on is the total growth and wealth. And their view was, well, we can get that by just bringing in other investors. So we could still grow without maximizing the leverage. Yeah. Now, this is something I'd like to come on to, John, because one of your specialisms is uh, understanding how to raise capital as opposed to debt for investing. So can you just give us a, a brief overview for people who aren't used to that, uh, that, 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 that difference in definition? Some people might be listening and thinking, well, what is the difference between raising capital and raising debt? So it'd be useful to hear from you a definition of that. But secondly, where do you see that market going, let's say, over the next um, month, a year to 18 months? OK, um, I was going to make notes, but I think I can remember two questions. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah. you can't, I'll versus, so I, I got to also get used to work with this camera. So debt versus equity. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, which hand's moving? Yeah. Um, so everybody understands the debt side. It, the, you know, you go to the bank, you go to whoever the institution is, you borrow the money, 70% LTV. So L, loan, to value the V. So if 100 is the value and 70 is the debt, 30 is the equity, or you could say debt versus joint venture. And debt is the stuff you can get from a firm at a fixed interest rate or a variable rate or some contract rate and equity or the other bit, the cash, the deposit, whatever you want to call it, is what the lender expects you to have before they give you the loan. So both of these are financial topics, depending on how you go about raising the money you may or may not have to comply with the regulations. And I like to say that is easy. If you have enough equity, enough cash, you can always find a loan as long as the numbers stack up. And the way to make the numbers stack up is use less debt and more cash and the numbers will stack up. Um, so whether it's a bridge lender, whether it's Lloyd's or other high street lender, you can raise debt when you have equity. And if you, you can find deals, you're gonna run out of equity probably before you run out of debt because your bank account's smaller than the bank has debt. So by definition, you need to learn how to raise this other bit, this equity, this joint venture capital. Yeah. And that definitely gets you back into issues with the Financial Conduct Authority, what is allowed, what isn't allowed. Um, 
Now, funny enough, we were talking about history, talking about age. When I started out in property, you go to property meetings, they would send you a postcard in the mail to remind you. There was no email. There was no way to reach you other than call around everybody. (laughs) And and if you had an answering machine, that was like, whoa, you're a really advanced technology person. Um, And that was some of a little tape. (laughs) So what that meant is it wasn't easy to raise JV finance unless you physically went and met with people. So then we come along to the internet world, social media and all this other stuff. And we suddenly find that everybody in the dog can post something. In fact, there used to be a joke about uh, on the internet, no one knows you're a dog. And there's a great famous cartoon Mm -hmm. because no one really knows who you are. That then led the regulators into like a bit of a panic. It's like, oh my God, everybody's doing deals online and we didn't even know this is going on. They're used to regulating the London Stock Exchange, the bond market, these things that they can almost see or touch. So I think the FCA, quite innovative UK, um, they came up with some rules and said, we're gonna create a sandbox. We're gonna let people raise debt. We're gonna let people raise equity or cash for their investments and for their businesses and whatever else. We just need you to follow a process. And if you play in that sandbox, it's no big deal. Um, it's, it's a viable way to do it. So then I translate this into for 500 pounds, you can do a JV that's legal to promote to anyone in the EU, as long as you follow the steps that you'll be told, these are the steps for 500 pounds. So you get to test the market at 500 pounds. And if you successfully raise whatever you want, it'll cost you 5% of what you're raising. My suggestion is if you structure your deal correctly, it'll cost you zero. There's a little bit of a secret sauce there. So 500 pounds to list your deal, no marginal cost to you if you structure it right. Raise as much money as you want if you're any good. If you're not any good, you shouldn't be attracting money. Yes, the, the, and in fact, the market will give you feedback. Uh, yes. if, if you're not yes. any good, you'll, you'll learn about it. <laughs> and then you'll know what to change and what to fix. And this is perfect. It's like going to a restaurant where the customers all say, yeah, it's fine, it's great. And then they never come back because they think it's horrible. And the yeah. staff are like, what is going on? They all said it was fine. It's like, yeah, but they were lying. Yeah, exactly. You, you've, you, you've got your feedback. No one's coming back. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So in this case, you can raise money. You can test your offers. I would suggest keep them simple, keep them easy to understand initially, build the loyal following investors. You can run a group investment, a collective investment scheme legally. It's not allowed otherwise. More than one investor would be a collective investment scheme. And unless you're already authorized and you would know if you were, you're committing a crime. Mm-hmm. And what, so, so John, tell us what portal is this, uh, this is on? So, so, so you're talking about using uh, an FCA regulated um, system. So what would that be that people could use? So there's multiple platforms that have been authorized. These are businesses that chose to set up as crowdfunding platforms in the UK. They went through whatever process they needed to go through to get authorized. There's largely a big distinction. There's the debt side, which is generally called peer-to-peer. And then there's the investment-based crowdfunding, which is equity bonds, shares, SPVs, whatever. Um, Both of those are regulated by the FCA. Most of the time, you apply to be one or the other. It's rare that a platform would do both. I know of one that does. Um, So depends on the raise you want, depends on what you're trying to do. And slightly toot my own horn, I would suggest you get in touch with me. I can then help suggest like how to structure your raise, but then 
which platforms would be authorized to run it versus other platforms wouldn't work. So as an example, Simon Zucci co-founded with some other people uh, Crowd Property, which is a debt platform, similar to House Crowd and a few others. It's a debt platform that does first charge lending up to 70% approximately. They will not do equity raises. They will not do joint ventures. They will not do second charge lending. They've made some business decisions on the second charge lending, and they also, in a regulatory sense, are not allowed to do joint ventures on their platform. So they will market heavily for people who want a loan, and they're competing with the bridge lenders, they're competing with the Shaw Brooks and the other banks, but they cannot raise the equity. So I would claim, actually, they're doing what I think is the easy part, the debt. Mm. Uh, they maybe do it better than some, so it's great to look at them. It might be a great way to invest capital at risk. On the other side, if you want to raise the equity, you need to go to some other platforms, uh, Leo Prop Crowd, Simple Crowd Funding Crowd with us. And again, I can advise as to how to structure the deal, which platform is probably optimal. As an example, though, on crowd property, you must have the ability to offer first charge. So you must own it. You could be buying it, but you have to have the title by the time the loan goes on. On the other platforms, at least some of them, you could raise money for a planning application to convert a building into a multi-unit HMO where you don't even own the property yet. So the crowd is giving you money to fund the application with the planners and the planning consultant and all the rest. Mm -hmm. And all you have is an option to buy if you get planning. Yeah. So that's incredibly helpful, isn't it? Because it means you can do it in phases. You can effectively fund it in yes. phases. Yes, well said. Let me see the camera. There we go. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so not used to this, you know, compared to Zoom, and I, you know, I, I sort of know how to behave. And it's now in my, it's almost like it's in my subconscious, and it's been hard white over the last two months. Yeah. And I'm using this new tool. It's like it's sort of cool, but I'm like whoa. Well, you know, John, I just I like to challenge. You know, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you, you, you come you come into into my world, and it's it's you know we don't like people to rest on their laurels. We're always yes, about yes. innovation, pivoting, entrepreneurship, all your Absolutely. themes. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, great. So, in terms of, I mean, that's a brilliant overview, really helpful. And I think people who haven't maybe looked at peer to peer or crowdfunding, they've probably heard these terms. They probably yeah. Thought, oh yeah, I've heard of you know big developers use this, and and I've uh, I've invested in a in a deal on crowd property last year, and it's still uh, being developed at the moment um, because so I want you're a partial owner of a loan, which yeah. is providing an interest rate, and it's secured by the property. Very That's... simple structure, great opportunity if you like it, if you like the details, perfect. Absolutely, and I thought that before I start to come in as, as, a, as a developer, borrowing money or raising capital, I need to learn it from the yes. point of view of an investor, um, yes. which so has been very, really very smart lady. Thank you. Because if you're trying to raise money from the crowd and you're talking to friends, family and other people that you might know, if you don't understand the process, it's really hard to have an intelligent conversation. Oh, you need to invest in my deal, but I can't tell you how to do it because I've never invested in a deal before. It's like, yeah, really? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and I remember reading, uh, it might have been one of Robert Kiyosaki's books, uh, where he talks about once you, to start with, you, 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 you become, you need to become investable. So as, as a property entrepreneur, you will at some point run out of money. Yes. 
whether it's your own or other people's, you will run out of money. So you've got to learn how to raise money. And in order to do that, you've got to be investable. And there are lots of different ways you can become investable. Uh, one of them is by building a brand. One of them is by building a reputation. One of them is by delivering on what you say you're going to do. One of them is by simple things like, you know, answering the phone, turning up on time for meetings. You know, it's a whole list of behaviors. It isn't just about leading from the front. Well it, done, you. Yeah. Correct. Exactly. But the other but then he said, once you've become investable and you start to be able to do that, the next stage in your business is for you actually to become an investor in other people's projects. Mm -hmm. um, but but I thought, well, actually, I want to become an investor in this in crowd property uh, first, because, as you say, I want to learn how that process works. I want to almost watch from the sidelines and see how other people do it and learn the good and, and the bad so that I can then borrow that learning and apply it when the time comes for me to do it myself. Yes, exactly. And the reason he says it for a certain reason, because he's got a book that talks about, you know, being uh, an owner, sorry, being an employee, then being a consultant, then having a business and then being an investor in the, yeah. in his world, the ultimate freedom is where you passively invest. And that's why he has it in that order. I think you're more correct for what you're doing, which is, if you're going to be raising money in the future, you need to understand the process. And the easiest way to understand the process and the emotionally interesting way to understand is, well, let me put a little money in. Let me see how I feel. Let me see what I have to click. What documents do I have to send in to verify who I am? You know, am I investing for my company or for my, as a person? As an example of that, on some of the platforms, they do not allow Americans to invest. I'm an American. I have an American passport. I do not have a British passport. So I wouldn't be able to use the platform but my British company can invest. So I had to figure out, okay, what's the steps? How do I verify? So if I'm then talking to my network, a Canadian or an American is likely to show up on my network. Therefore, it'd be nice if I could say, look, you know, I know your passport's following, so therefore you're gonna have to do this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's very interesting. Okay, so um, I'm presuming so that's because highlight... of the know your customer. Well, it, it's in their case, the platforms don't want to have to do extra reporting to the U.S. government. It's a cumbersome mm -hmm. process, and there won't be yeah. that many people that they're saying no to. So it was a business decision rather than a legal reason. Okay. They said, look, if we just say no to the Americans, how many are we going to lose? And Canadians, too. Um, where if we say yes, then we're opening ourselves up to a bunch of extra work. So now let me take us down a slight path. So last November, late November, the FCA launched a temporary ban and it was featured or highlighted or marketed as a temporary ban for mini bonds. It applies to all debentures, which is essentially a debt instrument. Um, SPV wants to raise a loan, they are essentially offering a, a debenture. So that temporary ban came into effect January 1st under the FCA's regulations and the, the charter that they have they can only run a temporary ban for up to 12 months and they must stop at the end of the 12 months. They can't extend it. So in the temporary ban, they made it very clear. We are going to do the normal consultation process and then come out with the permanent rules. And we're gonna get that done before the end of 2012 when the ban would run out because we don't want a gap. I wasn't so sure with COVID-19 if there's gonna be any impact. You know, I, I don't know how much it's impacted the FCA. So. Last Thursday, they came out with the consultation paper 20-8, which is in 2020, the eighth consultation paper is how the numbering works. 
And it very clearly says, you know, this is the consult on how we're going to move these rules into permanent status and to clarify and to make clear what some of the things are we're targeting. And one of the things that they're making very clear in it is for anyone raising money for a property development project or an HMO conversion or anything like that, where the results of the project determine whether the investors are going to get their money back, those are technically banned from the public. Oh, okay. And there's some exceptions and there's some nuances, but what they're trying to do is say, we do not want to see this stuff. And we want to make it very clear, we do not want any member of the public to see it until you've done two things. You've proven to your satisfaction, whatever that means, that the person is either sophisticated or high net worth, and you have to test that the offer is suitable for them in their situation before you can share it with them and only with them. Yeah. So you have to individually test each person for suitability and no one else should know that you're doing this. So it's like what happens behind closed doors stays behind closed doors and the rest of the market, the rest of the class, the rest of the group on Facebook shouldn't even know that you're doing the deal. Yeah. So, so this that's is the consultation right now. Okay, so that's really interesting. So in other words, the risk and reward uh, kind of return that, that we've seen in the past, whereby the reward is based on the risk and, many and, the, and the successful exit of the project. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and all, you know, the build costs and the refurb yeah. costs and, and how accurate those were in the planning, et cetera, et cetera. So, so that, they were very clear that if you're going to use, because in the temporary ban, it, you could interpret that to say build to rent was fine. So I'm going to buy it, I'm going to refurb it, I'm going to rent it out, and therefore it's outside of the temporary ban. It seemed obvious. In the consultation paper, they said, to clarify, we will only allow a project to be outside the ban, which is rent ready now, and is not dependent on changes. Right, okay. So any project that was about to launch or about to kind of put the first spade in the ground, that would that would be within the new regulations within these no, new no the this is a consultation so it's not in effect yet but they're saying we will clarify by the end of the year in the new rules that you cannot raise money by hitting up people for money if the project is dependent on your ability to get the project done rather than just throw the doors open and run it as a cash flowing business okay, okay. Uh, there's a couple other exceptions you know if you have other assets that you're willing to sort of used to fund it and all the rest, fine. Okay. My point though, is they're targeting property developers, they're targeting HMO conversion projects, they're targeting people who are classically in our space, and they're targeting people who want to raise money by posting online. Right, I see what you mean. So in other words, it's more about the point in time where you as a property developer can raise that finance. So in other words, if you're at the beginning of the development, that cannot, the, the, the proposal is that you won't be able to raise that finance because it's not rent ready. But whereas if you or, have- Or you can raise it if you use the process of yes. getting yes. the validations, okay? So if a retail investor saw that proposal, that would be a crime, even yes. if it was an accident. So you're going to have to demonstrate that you can control the distribution of your deal and the documents and you didn't chat about it in a pub and you didn't present it at a meeting and you didn't show up online and post a Facebook thing saying, hey, I'm looking to do this to convert an HMO. It's like, no, 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 you can't do any of that. Yes. 
You have to vet everybody who sees it before they see it. Mm. But, you know, th this still goes on. I, I, I think many of us, since the FCA regulations 13 stroke three, I believe, yeah. Um, yeah. came out, you know, I think a lot of people became more cautious because prior to that, I mean, you and I were investing in property before that and, and you long, long, long before that. Um, but even between probably 2008 and 20. 13 yeah. when those uh, regulations came out uh you know it i wasn't probably particularly active in property during those years <clears throat> excuse me don't have a sip of water but loud in these things. I, mm, um but still there were there were a lot of promotions yes, you know everywhere yes. you went and of course you could go to a property networking meeting and people would actively promote a deal come and talk to me at the end i've got a deal this is the return you know come and talk to me and that so, all changed in in 2013 one of the reasons it changed in 2013 ps133 came out and i was the guy that broke the story in the property sector is harlequin and other companies or ventures blew up and 300 and something million was lost. And part of the problem was the FSA didn't have clear enough rules to be able to go after those people before the money was lost. They had to wait till the damage was done. Mm -hmm. Now they've discovered with the mini bonds that these were legal to promote to the public if you're an issuer and they didn't require FCA sign off. But what they've discovered as the FCA a lot of the people who put money in had no understanding of the risks they were taking. And the default rate has been in the 25% range. So people looking at partial to total wipeouts, they added it up this time to be about 400 million of three, just three um, examples. And, you know, that's 25% of the market has wiped out. And we see this in the property space. We're hearing now in some of the forums about developers who weren't as reputable as people thought or money that was loaned at high rates of return thinking it was all secure and now it's looking like it's going to go upside down and even the secured lenders are going to you know, suffer a loss partial or full mm -hmm. so this is a little bit getting ahead now one of the things they do in this is they make very clear the process they also put in the risk warnings and they found that they had to change instead of the risk warning capital at risk they need to put a, a requirement and this is literally, you must have this at the top of the page. You must have this at the bottom of the page. You must have this in every tweet. And they have very specific warnings depending on which one you're using. Uh, and the warning basically says you can lose 100% of your money in this investment. That's the warning. Right. And, yeah. like, and they found that the public gets that better than capital at risk. Mm. And they will back off from investing when they, oh, my God, I can lose all my money. I thought it was secure. It's like, mm -hmm. no. And what they, there's a bit in the paper where they talk about people are sort of attracted to the rate of return and not to the risk. And the risk reward understanding is not balanced. So now they're rebalancing by saying, you can lose 100%. Can you really afford that? Mm -hmm. And one of the ones that's interesting is they say, you must use this in the document or the website or, or the page or whatever else. If you're going to say anything about an ISA, you have to then use this warning instead. And if you're using it on a platform that has a limited character, amount in a message you have to put this exact wording in that limited character that's going to fill up almost the whole message 
that's it. <laughs> now, you know, I've got, I, I've, I've, I've got some sort of feelings about that because I have to say, I think, you know, I can understand regulation. I know, I know that we're trying to protect people. We're trying to uh, ensure that people um, make the right decisions, that they don't lose lots of money. But, you know, there's another side to this, John, which is I feel sometimes over-regulation. And, you know, this to me feels sometimes rather heavy-handed. And we, 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 we're in this phase where we, we want to regulate everything out of existence. Yep. Well, there's a, I, I agree. Now, well, let's get practical. And, and this is one of the things when you're an actual investor entrepreneur, you have to deal with the market as it is, not how you'd like it to be. Yeah. The FCA got hammered by the MPs who got hammered by their constituents. 11,000 something people lost money in this London capital and finance. Okay. Those 11,000 got written up in the press. It turned into this big sort of blowout. So now the FCA is having an investigation of the FCA, why they didn't stop these people from being stupid. And other than euthanasia, where you just kill the stupid people, <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. So the only leverage the FCA has is if they can actually say, well, we've now worked with the university and proven that if we say this, the stupid people don't put the money in. And the people who think they're smart enough put the money in and then don't complain. And that's the balance they're trying to strike. Protect the public from itself because they will cause enough noise and the MPs will do whatever they need to do. And I, I'm fine with that. If that's the world we live in, then you need to be able to put your hand up and say, you know, I warned you and I followed all the rules. So you can't actually sue me. Yeah, but you know there is there is a tenet, isn't there, in 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 standard property law, which is called caveat emptor. You know, yep. buyer beware. And yep. it feels to me sometimes that you know we we we're slowly but surely drifting away from that principle, yep. uh, which is buyer beware. You do your due diligence. You do the risk analysis. You check it out for yourself. So now, the FCA says we completely agree with that. We don't regulate property, so do what you want and that principle applies. What we do regulate is promotion and collective schemes. Yeah. We work for the MPs. All of you idiots who lost money are the ones telling us we need to have better rules because we should have protected you from making such a dumb investment. We're gonna do what we're told to do because we're just in the cog, we're one of the cogs in the works and the MPs have told us now get our act together and this is how we're gonna do it. And we're gonna put the brakes on that stuff. But if you wanna buy it direct, that's fine. That's the estate agency people. They'll set their rules. Mm. Yeah. So uh, if you don't need anyone else's money, you're good. There's no change. No, uh, absolutely. If you're trying to raise money, there's a change. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I suppose ultimately, pragmatically, we've just got to be aware of that change and adapt, you know. And, and the thing is that, the, again, I think the market will give feedback. You, all these regulatory yes. changes eventually either stick or fall because of what the impact is on the wider economy. And we know that housing is a key factor in the UK and actually in the worldwide economy. So if- Well, let me challenge you there, because this is where I think you're drawing connectivity. First of all, as taxpayers, we pay our taxes. When the banks got bailed out, we said, no, 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 you don't do that again. So they've put pressure on the banks to tighten the lending requirements. As property investors say, oh my God, they're asking all these questions. They now won't just give me money without, you know, without any questions. It's like, well, that's because we as taxpayers told the banks to make sure that they ask us questions. Okay, we get what we 
we sort of wrote yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. true. Yeah. We do. Yeah, yeah. So on the other side of this is the FCA is also saying you can raise money. You have to follow the rule. And yeah. if the public doesn't understand how they're hurting themselves playing with the chainsaw, we're going to put rules around chainsaws. Mm -hmm. One of the ways that you can raise money as you and I is if you go into a crowdfunding site, they can sign off. You can then raise money that exceeds what the rules allow you to do if you don't use an authorized person. As long as you have an authorized person holding your hand, crowdfunding site, investment bank, whatever, you can raise money more aggressively or more collectively than you could if you do it on your own because you're not authorized. Yeah. So they're giving us a route and it costs 500 pounds to get that advisor to sign off and hold your hand during the whole process, given the way the platforms have set their price chart, price, uh, price list. So the FCA is not saying not to raise money and most people do not raise money this way. So most of the housing market, there'll be no impact. It's only in our little community that mm -hmm. this is like directly aimed at us and it's a big bazooka and it's gonna make a difference. And by the way, it is a consultation paper. This is not the final rules yet, but the direction of travel is very clear. So if people want to comment, they can up until October 1st. Okay, so that's useful. You know, and I think I think actually getting our voices heard, whatever view you have, I, I very much promote that. You know, I, I've been writing to Richie Sunak. He's probably tearing my letters up and throwing them in the bin. But no, I don't I, know. I'm, I'm sure he writes and makes notes on them and files. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, they definitely go into conservative policy, you know, absolutely. In fact, I'm surprised he's not on the phone now, phoning me up. Wendy, what's well, he, your view? He heard that you were interviewing me, so he... Yeah, exactly. He's probably watching now, John. Um, but no, I think making our making our voices heard is really important. I think sometimes as property investors, we get so embroiled in the day to day running of our businesses yes. Yes. that we forget that actually we we maybe we may feel like we're a tiny cog in a in a very 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 big system, but we still are important and have to make our views known. So um, yeah, I think that's really important. Well, okay. We are tiny cog, but we're at the coal face of a very particular part of the market, say the HMO market. So we know front and center what the real issues are, along with maybe tenants who live in those properties. So mm. we do have an important message to deliver on our topics. And when it comes to crowdfunding or it comes to legally raising money in the UK, I read the documents, you know, we spent Friday night and Saturday morning going through this document twice so that I could talk to you about it. So. You know, if you're willing to put in the time to be in a particular niche, then you should speak up when that niche is being featured. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think you're absolutely right. So, OK, so we're going through the consultation. We don't know whether that's going to be edited in some way. Maybe it, there may be some tweaks to it before it, uh, it, it becomes live. So let's look ahead maybe to the next 12 to 18 months. I would really like to know your views on what you think is going to happen in the property market and how these FCA rules may also affect people who are in this group looking to develop HMOs. Maybe they can foresee a moment when they're going to be running out of their own cash to carry on investing. Mm -hmm. what, what, what do you see happening and what advice would you give to those people? So let's look at the macro. So COVID's here to stay. It won't be the last one. There'll be others that have come along. So don't think you just have to survive this and then it's all great again. Um, to be blunt, to be very sort of insensitive, Brits who were around in the late 30s, early 40s lived through German bombings, okay? A lot of housing stock was destroyed. 
This COVID virus is nothing like that. We are stressing the medical system. We are seeing people die. It's tragic for the individuals and their families. It will make almost no difference in the total population. Supply, demand, imbalance, and housing is going to continue. And we have been slowing down the build during this period when people aren't able to move as much. So there'll be disruptions, but we still have a fundamental shortage. And it's mostly in certain regions of the country. So in those regions of the country, values have remained strong, demand will remain strong. If you're in bad areas, as in areas that have low economic prospects because the industries have left, that could be Northeast, Northwest, it could be parts of Scotland, it could be parts of Wales. There'll be parts of the country where nothing's changed from before COVID to after, the economics don't make sense, you can barely give away the properties. So I would say actually housing choices haven't changed and there's no particular reason to see anything about this COVID happening. Individually with COVID, okay, lockdown, the ability to work from home, the ability to have good broadband, space to work on a table and, you know, or, or maybe control what's in the background or the noises, room. So these things become much more sensitive and people might look for different things in their HMOs. They might care that, oh, you have a desk, this is really good. I'll take that room because it's got a desk. Absolutely. It's like, okay, you know, that's what I gotta do. You gotta adapt. Uh, you might have to rethink your fiber or broadband into the property to make sure it has sufficient for everybody to be pounding away on it. Um, economically, I think lenders might freak a little with HMOs because like, oh, I'm lending to you. It's student housing. It's in Cambridge. You're going to have no income for the whole year. How does that work for loan qualifications? Or you're telling me you're going to pivot to young professionals. So is everybody else. There aren't that many young professionals in all of Cambridge to take up all this new stock. Uh, University of Manchester, we're not going to meet for six months on campus. Okay, University of Manchester, will those students still take up the housing? If you cater to overseas students, would you, as an overseas student, want to go to Cambridge knowing you can't have campus life? So therefore, maybe I'll switch to Beijing University or some other university that's closer. Um, there'll be turbulence, and it'll be turbulence like black swans are all about. Things that you could see if you thought to look, but you won't be able to predict that it will happen. So having a bigger cash buffer, don't stretch so much. Raise more equity and give up some of the upside to protect the downside. It's better to be in the game successfully than to be wiped out because this is a long-term business. You win in this business from 10, 20, 30 years. So if it means slowing down your growth, but solidifying your foundation, hallelujah. Yeah, and totally. You, you can raise money legally. I'm not saying you can't. I'm just saying you won't be able to do it the way the cowboy type behavior has um, guided you in the past. Now, on that point, you know, I do. Do the FCA actually take a lot of action against people? Because we've had these regulations, as I said, the, the PS13. So, answers yes. Okay. Um, more so now because they're getting really slammed that they didn't see it coming where it used to be more about they caught it after the fact so the couple things have changed one is they have in the paper they quote how many hundred investigations that are ongoing and they don't tell the public who's being investigated so for all you know one of your students is being investigated um i'm not saying they are i'm not saying there's anything wrong i'm just saying you wouldn't know unless they chose <laughs> to disclose it Yes. So right. second is they are very proactive right now. If anyone wants to report something on the hotline, they will respond on the hotline, uh, email or phone 
and you send in whatever you want to send in. They say, okay, that's interesting. We'll pass it on to our investigation team. What other evidence do you have? Do you have any other emails? Who else is involved? Let us get uh, working on this, but we can't tell you if we're going to investigate them. So you don't know who you might be reported by. Uh, but interesting, the biggest difference is they're now doing, um, I think they call it proactive horizon scanning or something like this, which means they're using big data to search and they're looking for information proactively and they're using the computers to like, okay, let's keep track of all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And they are probably not sitting in Facebook groups, but they might at some point say to Facebook, give us the last three years of everything posted in this group. And they'd be within their legal right to scan that at some level and Facebook would debate it and da 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 da. But be really careful when you post things online because you don't know when it's going to be on the radar. Yeah. And all you have to do is have one disgruntled investor who you didn't deliver exactly what you said. And they, it's like I can hire a lawyer or I can just get the FCA to do it for free. Huh, I'm going to call the FCA. Okay, so that's a really sort of opportune warning, I think, for people to, to recognize that if they have been doing this, if they have been promoting, if they haven't been following the FCA guidance, they must stop immediately. This is not the right way to raise capital or funds for your project. Spend um, 500 pounds to do it right or fly with your pants down, hoping in the next seven to 10 years, you never get caught. And by the way, they can look at all your deals once they look at one of your deals. Right, right. So it's a real it's warning not, to people, isn't it? It's a real, really important warning. Yeah. And there is a property guy who did get investigated. He did end up in court. He did end up going to jail. He did end up with an ankle tag afterwards because he was running a collective scheme and didn't know it. Yeah. Now, the investment wasn't in a property deal, but he was well-known in the property circle. So most of the investors that lost money were property investors. And the judge even said, look, your sentence is shorter than it would have been because I see that you lost money yourself and didn't realize that this wasn't going to play well. But you're still going down. See the guy over there and they'll take you in the van. Yeah. And you can now go to the Her Majesty's HMO where you slop out your own stuff. And there's <laughs> yeah. no chocolates on the pillows. <laughs> That's right. That's why we call it an HMP. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's one letter after O. That's it. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> That's what I remind my tenants whenever they complain, you know, about their living conditions. I say, listen, it's only one letter away from HMP. <laughs> yeah. Okay, John, listen, that's that's really, really good. Thank you so much. Uh, lots of food for thought there. Lots and lots mm -hmm. of food for thought. Um, we've had quite a few people watching. We haven't had any questions as yet, but quite often what happens is the questions come afterwards when people have digested the interview. So if anybody does have any questions and they'd like to put it on the chat panel for John today, please feel free to do it. We've got a, another couple of minutes left. Um, but yeah, yeah if I they post questions later, if they tag me or Wendy, if you notice and you tag me, then it's yeah. easy enough for me to jump on at some point. Uh, some days I get a little busy, but most days I can be pretty prompt. Great. That's fantastic. Thank you. Well, we hey, know buddy, a funny thing to talk about my age. So part of my day job in 1982, probably before you were born almost, no. I was actually paid to be online. Wow. That must have been absolutely incredible because, I mean, the Internet didn't really get going until, well, early yeah. 90s, was it? You well, know, the web wasn't invented until just about 1990. So there was no web. 
It was all character-based. You shared a computer with terminals attached on a wire, or you had modems. And those computers, to talk to each other, had to call each other with modems using the phone system. Amazing. Amazing. So you, you, you know, and today we are on Be Live, streaming to Facebook, potentially have an audience of thousands or potentially millions. I, I don't think we will get that, but certainly, you know, hundreds of people today. And uh, actually, thank goodness we have this technology because at a time like now, you know, I think it's been tremendous. In fact, today, I think the BBC announced that Zoom have seen something like a sort of 6,000% growth in their usage because of because of COVID-19. And, and I, I actually think it's a really good thing. You know, it allows us to stay at home more. It allows, it allows us to travel less. Uh, it allows us to be more connected. Um, although it has some downsides, you know, we all love actual seeing people in the flesh. But, you know, this is a very, very good substitute. So. Well, I can't give you a hug at the same time. I don't have to spend an hour and a half driving to some hotel or taking train to some hotel, you know, and all that. So it really does cut both ways. And, and one thing I've noticed, I run a monthly meeting and it's been running for like 15 years. I now have people attending who are like way out of the London area who could never get back in time if I held it on a Tuesday evening, which is when I would have it. And but on Zoom, they can participate. They can come in from Newcastle and Bristol and all these other places and they don't have to worry about last train home. They don't have to worry about hotel rooms. It's really quite interesting. It is. It's great. It's great. Absolutely. Well, that's fantastic. So anybody who wants to talk to John more about the whole topic of raising finance for your property deal, uh, he's, he's, he's a member of the group. So you can message him, get in touch with him. He'll answer your questions point you in the right direction, give you some very, very good, solid sound advice about what to do. And John, I would say that, you know, you, you, you work with people who are working with what you might call moderate projects, right up to really big developments, don't you? You work with people yes. who've got, you know, who's just starting off doing this right people up. To big have raised 15,000 pounds total for a project. That's all, 15,000. And other people have raised over a million. Mm-hmm. And the key here is, I like to put it in a positive sense. It's not about the regulators trying to stomp on your business. It's the regulators saying those that operate correctly should be able to attract money from lots of people. And those that don't operate correctly, we're gonna squeeze out of the market. So this is a way of getting rid of your dodgy competitors and attracting uh, investor money from people. It's like, oh my God, Wendy, this is so hard. Can I just give you money and you can do it? Yeah. And it's like, hey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what this is about. This is how people that are good at what they do can attract money from people. It's like, I don't want to go to the courses. I don't want to do all this stuff. I don't want to take the phone calls. I'll just give you money. I got a day job I love. Yeah. And those are the people we love and we want to work with them. That's right. Take Mm -hmm. their money, handle it well, deliver, like you said earlier, all the things about phone calls and delivery and success. And you'll attract money and your brand will become very clear and then it'll be even less expensive to raise the money. Yes, definitely. Fantastic. Well, listen, John, thank you so much for being on today. Absolutely great to have you. If we were in person, I would give you a hug. It has to be a virtual one for today. (laughs) Yes, well, we'll socially distant hug. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Great. Well, listen, at some point, we will no doubt see each other in person. But for now, thank you so much. Have a lovely day. Take care. Bye-bye now. Thank you for listening to the HMO Success Podcast. 
If you'd like to know more about how you can create a profitable HMO business, please visit our website, hmosuccess.co.uk, to find out more. We have plenty of free tools and information for you there, and also on our Facebook group, The Ultimate HMO Success System. We look forward to connecting with you very soon. Thanks for listening.